Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today, we've got some crazy good compliance stories, and our first one's by OKAppointment3792. Just drill it so we can go home. I'm a machinist and welder for the USAF, and beyond what you can imagine from that, I also remove stock hardware from aircraft or components when needed. We support a lot of agencies on base, but operate out of the flight line. A few years ago, I was stationed in the Midwest and working on tankers. I was a young airman and doing well enough to help with running the second shift. I was running the machine shop floor and managing the other airmen on shift while our shift lead was there to assist in maintenance and inspecting unrequired repairs. It should be said that I was known for my no-nonsense attitude and getting into verbal disagreements with anyone who tried to push us around and tried to get us to do something without following the right procedures. I would tell anyone, regardless of rank, that it was not right and they can come back when they have the right paperwork. I was called the destroyer of dreams by my leadership simply by doing the right thing and making people's lives harder for it. Anyway, on one particular Friday night, I was sitting at one of the computers in our office, checking on what maintenance we had left, or my email, I don't remember. Our production superintendent walked in and said that some crew chiefs needed us to assist with a fastener they broke off in something. I grab one of the newer airmen, and we go out to the spot where the job is. Upon arrival, I have my airmen grab the tools to remove the broken screw while I find out what happened. That's when I met with the guy in charge out there, we'll call him Jeffrey. He was the master sergeant in the ANG, Air National Guard. He explained to me that they broke a screw off in the cover plate of the auxiliary power unit. I make sure that the job is on the forms that all aircraft have to track maintenance and get Jeffrey's guys to put a job in there while I get to work. When I get up there and immediately discover that drilling into this thing is not going to be viable. The cover plate is flat, but it's tilting back and forth on its axis whenever you put pressure on it. Normally you want to drill into something that's stable and moving around as you don't want to damage anything. We couldn't get the darn thing to stop moving and I called down Jeffrey to let him know that it would need to be brought to the shop to be drilled out. He looked up and said it wasn't possible and began to explain that it would be an 8 hour process to remove the APU just to get the plate out and over to us. He proceeded to climb up and try to show us how to hold and drill the plate. My airman and I just looked at each other. We just tried this crap. I tried again to drill it, but the plate just moved around and started to get damaged. I looked down, and this is the conversation that followed. I said, hey sir, this isn't working and it's going to come out. Jeffrey said, you need to keep trying. We've been out all night and want to go home. I say, I'll call my shift lead and ask for his advice because I don't know if this is possible. I proceeded to call my shift lead and told them it needed to come out and told him how adamant the crew chiefs were. He grabbed our super and this man told us to give him a moment. He came back and said there were three replacement parts on base. Do your thing. I looked down and told the guys that we were clear to proceed. Remember when Jeffrey told me that it was an 8 hour process to just get that plate out? 
Well, I guess those guys are about to find out what happens when you don't listen to the subject matter experts of screw removal. I begin to drill and have my airmen try to hold the plate in place. What do you know, it still moves around and drills off center and into the threads and the cover plate. This made the plate unusable and needs replacement. This took all of 5 minutes and now will take a total of 16 hours to be replaced. I pack my tools into the bag and climb down and tell my airmen to put the tools back in their box. This is what followed being the best moment of my life so far. I said, sir, we tried to drill it as you wanted and the parts damaged. Jeffrey says, so we're good to go and replace the part? I say, no, sir. The screw's still in there and we damaged the part trying to drill it. We went through the threads and into the part. It's messed up. He simply looked down inside and told his guys to back up. We went back to the shop and got ready to go home. From what I heard, the guard guys were hazed by the active crew chiefs for making them come in on the weekend and not listening to us. I continue to be a pain to those that dared and was stationed somewhere else a year and a half later to Asia. Kind of related to the vein of how OP tried to explain what was going down to this guy and they refused to listen. When you guys are talking to someone, how many times do you have to repeat yourselves before you're totally upset? Just two times? Three times? Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is by Knees 86 If you don't have a receipt, then you have to claim the full amount. Last week I had to travel for work. I traveled up on the Monday afternoon, spent the night in a hotel, went to the conference on Tuesday, and then traveled home that evening. While I was away, I had to buy myself dinner on the Monday night, breakfast the Tuesday morning, and dinner Tuesday evening. Lunch was provided at the conference. My understanding of the meal expense policy was that we were allowed up to $20 for breakfast, $30 for lunch, and $50 for dinner. Anything above that and you would need a receipt and an explanation of the high expense. When I returned to work, I submitted an expense claim for the three meals I had to buy for a total of $59.85. Just moments ago, I received a phone call from HR that I shall paraphrase. HR said, Why did you submit such an unusual amount? I say that's just how much I spent on food. They say, do you have any receipts? I say, no, I just checked my bank statements. They say, well, if you don't have the receipts, then you can only claim the amounts in the policy. I say, um, okay, I could probably show you my bank statements. They say, what meals did you buy? I say, dinner the night before, breakfast on the day, and dinner on the drive home. They say without the receipts, you can only claim the amounts in the policy, so I'll change that and get it sorted. I say, okay, thanks. They say, next time, just claim the amount of the policy. I say, will do, thanks. Just check my bank, and there's a $120 payment in there. I have to make this trip every quarter, so now I know for next time too. Honestly, like, that's not bad. They're like basically giving you a bonus every time you go on a trip. If they're going to be dumb and handle it like that, you might as well take advantage of it. They're basically telling you to. Our next story is by Simon T. Vesper. Don't know if this really counts, but it just happened and I immediately thought of this sub. Okay, I gotta set the scene for this to make sense. My kid's doing his homework and he's struggling because he doesn't really want to. It's a writing assignment where he has to make a full sentence that includes a word chosen from a list. He struggles with writing in general, like his brain's wired different, that sort of thing. So my wife's helping him and she's being really patient to the point where she's giving him step-by-step instructions. 
I'm chilling in the other room playing video games when I hear him say, I feel like a prisoner when I'm in school. And my wife says, well, that's a good sentence. Write that one down. Hey, nothing like being a little passive aggressive with your homework and doing it right at the same time too. In fact, as weird as it sounds, it might be a good idea to encourage that kind of behavior. Allow them to improvise and create kind of a comedic, venting, and legitimate way of doing their homework. This next story is by Bill V 59 You want to see all children not in school uniform? Okay. A few years ago, I retired from teaching, UK, and I particularly love the stories of malicious compliance from schools and colleges. Recent threads about malicious compliance by students, which teachers had to take on the chin, brought back many memories, so I thought I'd share one which involves me and my students, which happened in my first year of teaching, 1981. I was fresh out of college and went to teach science in a secondary, 11-16 to 16 school, in a rural town in which a lot of the students were the children of farmers and could be quite a challenge. I was only a few years older than some of them, and I was walking a very fine line between wanting to be liked and having some level of respect and authority, something which every new teacher will remember. I'd replaced a popular teacher and had been given his tutor group, home group, and they weren't making it easy for me. To be fair, I probably deserved it. One of the main protagonists was a boy whose father was a successful farmer who happened to be the chair of governors and who was always keen to protest when he wasn't happy with something. We'll call him SH as those were his initials and this was 40 years ago. The other person involved in the story is the head of year, I'll call him Jordy, who was an old timer and had been unsuccessful when applying for the deputy headship. And so there was a fair amount of resentment bubbling away which he tended to take out on the children and occasionally staff. Our school had a uniform policy. I didn't have a problem with this as such as it does act as a bit of a leveler, especially when families can't afford the latest fashion, and as a tutor, it was my job to make sure my children were appropriately dressed, which I was doing to the best of my ability. Anyway, many of the children were in basic uniform, but sometimes they pushed the limits of what was acceptable. A common problem was whether footwear was trainers or shoe, but as long as their appearance was within the spirit of the rules, I was pretty much okay with it. Jordy, however, was not. At a team meeting, he went on a rant about how standards were being allowed to slip and that we were not being vigilant enough. He reminded us that it was our job to maintain standards and ended with a demand that the next day we send to him any child who was not in proper uniform. He waved the school handbook at us and told us if we didn't know what that was, we could find it in there. I was well pissed. I was walking a fine enough line with these students and this wasn't going to make my life any easier. Cue the malicious compliance. I checked the handbook very carefully and the next morning I was ready. After I'd taken the register, I announced that anyone not in proper school uniform would be reporting to Mr. Jordy, groans and protests. First of all, I sent a couple of gobs who were always pushing things too far. Then I began with a malicious intent. The regulation said black v-neck jumper. Yours has a round neck? Down you go. Is that a logo on your shirt? It says plain white. Off you go. The rigs also specified plain black socks. They'd been written some years earlier and never reviewed. In the early 80s, many children wore white socks. I know. So down went all the white socks and the atmosphere in the classroom got distinctly more hostile towards me. 
Then I singled out S.H., the class mouthpiece. Down you go, I insisted. He was furious and came right up to me and was almost in my face. He demanded to know why, so I told him. He was wearing black socks, but I noticed that they had two colored bands around the top. I explained that the rule specifically said plain black socks and that his were not plain. He was mad and our eyes locked, and then it happened. To this day, I remember how his face changed as he realized that this was not me against him, it was us against Jordy. He then went around the class, helpfully pointing out all the minor infringements that I had missed. And we ended up sending every child in the class, apart from three to four, who were in full uniform and who were frankly disappointed not to be sent down. Jordy had gone hard on the first few children who went down and then couldn't treat the others differently, so he got it in the neck from parents who didn't appreciate being contacted about stripy socks. Shortly after this, the rules were rewritten to be more flexible as long as the spirit of the uniform was upheld. From that day on, I had a fantastic tutor group, SH became head boy and was a credit to the school, and worked as hard for me as any child I taught since. And in 40 years of teaching, despite many instances of malicious compliance, I never managed to top the time my students collaborated with me in an act of malicious compliance. And our final story of the day is by Kinda Awkward IT Guy, gave my work to a coworker, got paid to play solitaire for half a day. I worked as a cycle counter at an old factory which went out of business two years after this story happened. My direct supervisor was unpredictable, he would throw temper tantrums if any of his employees didn't listen to him, and other times I was pretty sure that he had no idea how to do the job that he was assigned. He even went as far as to give another one of the cycle counters his password so that they could approve their own counts. Back on track, there were a few stockroom clerks, each assembly line had its own stockroom, and one or two people to manage it, which the line workers would bill and check out parts from, who would pretend that they didn't have any work, so they could spend all day doing personal things. Instead of checking their work to make sure that was true, like a supervisor should have, he approached me. Here's how the conversation happened, approximated of course, since this was almost 10 years ago. Supervisor said, stockroom clerks 1 and 2 don't have any work to do. I say yeah, and what do you want me to do about it? They say, I'm wondering if you can give them the rest of your counts for today. I say they're not trained to do it, and if I give my work away, I won't have any for the rest of the day. Though I wouldn't mind going home early, I rode in with someone else who won't leave until 3. He sighed and left my office. I went out and did the actual counting for the afternoon. And there's quite a bit of work to do once I was back at the computer, including checking the counts against what's supposed to be there, and if the counts lower, look at its history to make sure the part doesn't have an alternative location or an incomplete checkout. I didn't make it back to my office before I was stopped by the storeroom clerks just outside my office, who I got along with and were good at their jobs. Coworker said, Supervisor is upset and on the verge of throwing a temper tantrum like he does. You should give the other stockroom people your work. So after I talked with him about it for a bit, I went back up to my office, called my staffing firm to clear it with them first. They okayed the order, so I went down and met supervisor at his desk of the other two stockroom clerks, and watched them start to blindly enter the counts into the computer. I sighed and went up to my office and played solitaire for the rest of the day, My supervisor walked by on a few instances and didn't say a word. 
The fallout was a bit boring. There was a good backlog of corrections to deal with, which mostly I had to. But a few weeks later at the daily safety meeting, one of the head managers had stopped by to head it off. He discussed a few bullet points they added to the briefing. One of them was along the lines of, and don't assign work to employees who aren't trained for it, while staring directly at supervisor. Reprimands and write-ups were done in private between the parties involved, so I didn't know whether or not he was written up for it, but he was in a very bad mood for the whole week after the actual situation. So I think he may have been if it wasn't something that happened in his personal life. Supervisors doing a whole lot of very good supervising here, apparently. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 